All right. Good morning, everybody. Welcome back after two weeks. Anybody, uh, anybody sleep in on Sunday morning last week with the snow? Yeah, it came down pretty, pretty good um, in Dillsburg anyway. I don't know how it was with you guys down here all the way in East Berlin, but it was, uh, there was some snow. Um, and we're supposed to get some more this afternoon, but my understanding from one of the, you know, 18 different weather forecasts is it might just turn into rain. Um, so basically we will get anywhere from zero to 85 inches of snow starting anywhere between 7 a.m. and midnight, um, and it may or may not stick on the ground. So that's, uh, that's your weather forecast from me. Uh, I'm about as much of an expert as, as most of the other ones. Uh, um, just a couple of reminders. We do have our annual council meeting in a couple of weeks, two weeks from now, in fact. Um, and we want to invite you to remain after church. Uh, we're going to have some sort of a luncheon available. Um, and we are going to, uh, so we'll, we'll meet up in the uh, fellowship hall for lunch. We'll come back here for the meeting. We have a lot of really uh, cool stuff to share with you. Things that uh, happened over the past year. Things we're looking forward to this year. Uh, if you are a member of the church, you'll also vote on a couple of things. Uh, our budget, you'll vote to affirm uh, nominations for different uh, ministry uh, leaders and uh, different uh, jobs around the church. Uh, and even if you're not a member, just knowing what's going on, knowing that, uh, you, you know, that our church is going uh, hopefully in a really good direction this year uh, will be something exciting for you to hear. <coughs> and uh, we also passed out the, uh, the membership uh, sign up. If you are interested in being a member of the church, uh, we would love to uh, have you join. Uh, we're going to be doing those classes at the end of February and beginning of March. Uh, unfortunately, we just... We don't have a whole lot of time and snow keeps getting in the way of things. So, um, but we moved that back to February 27th and March 6th. Um, this morning, we're gonna continue our uh, sermon series that we started uh, two weeks ago uh, called Journey with Jesus. And we're gonna spend some time learning about this Jesus that we read about in the New Testament and this Jesus that we hear about every Sunday at church and it's at, at Bible studies and things like that. And we're going to look at the ways that Jesus proved who he was to his disciples, his disciples back then, his disciples today, when his disciples said that you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Now, before we talk about today's topic, I need to issue an apology and a correction from our sermon two weeks ago. Last week, we, uh, two weeks ago, we looked at some mathematical uh, calculations that gave us a glimpse into the probability of Jesus uh, fulfilling all of the requirements of Messiah. And uh, my math whiz son, Tom, uh, pointed out a couple of errors in my calculations while we were in the parking lot. He didn't even like sit down and do any kids. He just said, oh, you're wrong, by the way. Uh, <laughs> So one of the big ones was when I showed you guys the playing cards. I said that to pick two specific cards out of the deck, you start out with one chance in 52 and then one chance in 51, and I was mistaken. Uh, to pick two specific cards in any order, you have two chances in 52 to pick the first card, and then one chance in 51 of picking the second card. And I also inadvertently um, added a couple of zeros 
uh, to the calculation. I apparently looked at my numbers, my calculations, and forgot I was doing percentages. Um, so instead of 0.00038, it should have been 0.0038%. And the true probability, as my son pointed out, was actually 0.0075%. Um, <laughs> And this is what happens when your non-mathematically inclined pastor tries to do math. Uh, so I want to thank my son, Tom, for setting me straight on that and uh, wanted to make sure that you all had that information as well. Um, <laughs> he's thanking me. He's surprised that I would actually admit that I was no, I wrong. This feels, like, this feels like a backhanded thank you. No, 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 not at all. Because uh, this, this was a humbling experience for me. Um, to have my 18-year-old son uh, school me in uh, basic mathematical principles. But uh, I have, I, I'm trying to be now today extra careful with the things that I share. Uh, so if there are any rabbis in the congregation this morning, we're watching online. If, you, if I get something wrong, please uh, reach out and let me know about it. Because this morning we're going to be talking about a period in time for Jesus' journey that we know remarkably little about. And that's the time from uh, when Jesus was about 12 years old until he was about 30 years old. And we're starting this morning in the book of Luke chapter 2, where we read about uh, an incident that occurred with Jesus's family. Uh, and we start in verse uh, 41. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to the custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it, but supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. <laughs> parents, I tell you. Do you have any parents here who have ever lost a child for a brief time? Just, I mean, not like, you know, but just you're shopping, right? And I know a lot of guys probably would do this. You're in the sporting goods department and you're looking at the new fishing stuff or the new golf stuff or the new whatever, and your kid's with you and they just wander off, right? And you don't notice because you don't care at that point. You see fishing stuff and you see golf stuff. Maybe, they, maybe they've left the house and gone to a friend's house and you didn't know that they left. Anybody ever had that happen before? Uh, yeah, one time, right? So basically, as a parent, it, it does what? It scares you to death, right? You are absolutely frightened. You've lost your baby and you're, you've lo and you're losing your mind. You think that your mind goes to the absolute worst possible places that your mind can go, only to find them like, you know, three minutes later and, and you know, What's that emotion that we all feel after we've lost our child and, and find them just a little while later? And Mary and Joseph, well, they've lost Jesus. And they were heading back to Nazareth from Jerusalem. They traveled with a lot of people, which is what would happen in that time period. You would travel with a lot of people because if you had a lot of people, you'd be less likely to be set upon by robbers that are on the road and things like that. And the Bible tells us here that they are with their friends and, or their relatives and their acquaintances, likely people that they met on the way to Jerusalem. So as they left Nazareth, they'd pick up people and they'd all kind of continue traveling together. 
And everybody kind of looked after everybody else. And we do have that in our society today, thankfully. A lot of parents look after other uh, people's children when they're, you know, when they're at their house or out in the neighborhood. You know, and when I was a kid, we used to call those people busybodies. You know, why you gotta tell my mom where I am, right? But Mary and Joseph, they were so confident that Jesus was with their group that they didn't even look for him for a full day, right? They probably got to the point where they were just getting ready to set up camp and they wanted Jesus to come and do his chores. And they couldn't find him. And they started looking for him. And probably at first it was more um, frustration than anything else, not being able to find your children to do their chores. Anybody, parents? You ever get frustrated when you tell your parents to do, or tell your children to do their chores and they don't do them? Oh, there we go, we got one honest person here. Um, so, they, so they started looking for him uh, and they couldn't find him. And then they couldn't find him and then they couldn't find him. And then they started to get worried. So they had to turn around. Remember, they had already traveled a whole day. Now they gotta travel a whole day back in order to get back to Jerusalem, which means that they had to probably rest, sleep, because they didn't want to travel at night where the robbers would come out. They would want to travel during the day. So it's like probably 36 hours before they get to a, a decent place to get back to Jerusalem. And Luke continues in verse 46 after they get back. After three days, three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And we're going to come back to that part in just a little bit. Because um, I want to keep my focus on, on Mary and Joseph, the, the parents right now. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. Which is exactly the feeling that I think the parent would have when they've lost their child for three days. Astonished. And his mother said to him, son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And you know how, you know, you lose a child and you find them and, and, and you walk up to them and say, well, my goodness, uh, Johnny, uh, why, why did you run away for three days and stay here with these people in the temple? This is astonishing to me that you would do such a thing, right? I think not. I think they would probably be more like my mom, who lost me in a grocery store for about five minutes once because she sent me to go get something. Anybody ever, their parents, you're shopping with your parents, okay, go down to aisle six and get the peanut butter and get the kind that you like, right? And she sent me off and then I'd go get the peanut butter and then of course in the peanut butter aisle are the chocolate chips and the jelly and the <laughs> crackers and the cookies and everything else. And she lost me for like five minutes, and I would not describe her attitude when she found me as astonished. Um, and I also won't share in a church setting what her attitude was. But if you have ever lost track of your child, you find the child, and they cry and run up to you because they felt lost, and they couldn't find you, and they're so happy to see you. Mommy, I was so lost, I couldn't find you anywhere. That hardly ever happens, does it? Sometimes your child has no idea what the fuss is all about. Like in the case of my wife, 
Wendy, who, who gave her parents a little bit of a fright in uh, Ocean City, Maryland. And Wendy's gonna come up, she's gonna actually share uh, her story. I'm gonna bring this mic down so that uh, people at home can hear. But uh, she's gonna share her story of what happened in Ocean City, Maryland um, when you were, what, how old? I was trying to remember, probably six or eight. Yeah, your dad said six. Um, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> so every year we went to Ocean City, Maryland uh, for a vacation. And one of my favorite things was collecting seashells. It still is. You, I just you know, take walks and, with my little bucket. So, so like every year, I decided to grab my bucket and go look for seashells. Well, the beach is quite long, if you haven't noticed. Um, and I ended up wandering probably three or four blocks down the beach, happily looking for seashells. Well, as the story was told to me, uh, while I was happy collecting seashells, the lifeguards were like doing their like lifeguard thing, trying to find me. Um, you know, the lifeguard posts, you know, two in this direction, two in that direction, who knows, maybe I was swept out to sea. Um, my parents had no idea where I was, no clue. Um, and uh, the lifeguards found me and uh, sort of took me by the hand and I'm like, I, but that the seashells over there, I wanna go get them. And you know, ushered me back to my parents and my parents were um, not astonished, uh, <laughs> probably extremely relieved. Um, and I didn't really know what the fuss was because I knew where I was all along. Yeah, so. <clears throat> So there were Mary and Joseph, um, and they didn't have the lifeguards with their flags doing their little thing, you know, and I don't even know how they do that to describe a person with the flags, but apparently they found Wendy, thankfully, and now she's here this morning. Um, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> she told, she's told me this story like a, a couple of times, and every time she ends it with the same phrase. I knew where I was the whole time. <laughs> and listen to Jesus' response to Mary after she says, why have you treated us so? We've been searching for you in great distress. Let me turn that back up. He said to him, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? I knew where I was the whole time. Why didn't you know where I was the whole time? The, the English Standard Version here translates this passage here as, did you not know that I must be in my father's house? The King James uh, uses a, a slightly different translation that also matches the Greek, but I think really gives a fuller uh, kind of uh, feeling of what Jesus was saying. Wist ye not that I must be about my father's business? And some Bible commentators, and I, and I agree with them, says that the King, the King James translation, this uh, passage is more accurate than Jesus simply talking about being in the temple, being where he was. The King James version tells us why he was. Jesus was going about his father's business, not his father Joseph, his father God. Jesus was going about his father's business. And what was this business that Jesus was going about? And for that, we jump back to verses 46 and 47 that I told you we'd go back to in, in a second. 
Uh, and three days later, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. Now remember, Jesus is 12 at this time. Now in the Jewish tradition, boys and girls both go through this ceremony. Girls at age 12, boys at age 13. And you might have heard of these uh, ceremonies. They're called mitzvahs, right? Bar mitzvah for the boy, bat mitzvah for the girl. Bar means son, bat means daughter. Mitzvah means commandment. Through these ceremonies, quite literally, the boys and girls become sons and daughters of the commandment. This means that boys become men, girls become women, and they become accountable for living according to all the commandments of God. At age 12 or age 13, Jesus from a very, very young age, probably as soon as he could talk, would have started learning what the Jews call the Torah or the law. It's the first five books of our Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, and Numbers. As soon as they can talk, they, they begin learning this Torah. They begin memorizing the Torah. They're taught the words. And they learn about Jewish traditions and Jewish ceremonies. And they learn how to pray. They start praying at their family's table, right? The, the, in the Jewish culture, they actually say their grace prayer after the meal instead of before like we do a lot. But they start saying those prayers. And then somewhere between age six and nine, they begin their schooling. And this happened even in Jesus's time in the first century. Between age six and nine, children would start training in doing all of the 613 commandments found in the Torah. And by age 10, they would have the Torah memorized. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. I have a challenge for our Sunday school teachers. <laughs> but they did. They would memorize the entire scripture. And, and they did that because they didn't each have their own Bibles. They didn't have phones with their Bible apps on them. They didn't have the scrolls of the Torah unless they were very rich. So in order to learn, they had to memorize everything. But around age 10, Jewish children will have the, the Torah memorized. And so by the time that Jesus is found in the temple, he's age 12. He's already gone through most of his training. He's getting ready for that transition from being a boy to being a man responsible for living the commandments of God. And here he is talking to these religious leaders. They weren't called rabbis then. They didn't get called rabbis until like near the end of the first century, but they were called teachers. And it wouldn't be unusual for a boy Jesus' age to listen to teachers. He would sit at the feet of teachers and he'd listen all the time. What was unusual was Jesus' understanding and his answers. Jesus sat 
and listened. And then he asked questions and he made statements that showed his understanding was far beyond his years. His understanding was of someone who might have sat with a rabbi or a teacher for years before becoming a teacher themselves. And these teachers were astonished. Now, after the age of 13, for boys, uh, some boys would choose to go on and uh, get more education, what they would call, in, in what they would call rabbinic interpretation of the Torah. They would actually try to, they, they would have discussions and question and answer and debate and things like this. What does the Torah actually mean? What is God actually saying in this particular passage? And Jesus at age 12 is already showing this kind of ability. And it amazed the teachers. And this is important because Jews believed that Messiah, one of the, one of the things that Messiah would do is he would come and be known for his wisdom. Specifically, wisdom that would give the true interpretation of the law of Moses to the people. In the second century uh, BC, a book called the Psalm of Solomon was written. It could have been called the Psalm of uh, Wisdom, but it's likely that the authors attached Solomon's name on it to give him a little bit more you know, street cred. Uh, and because Solomon was renowned for his wisdom. And within these Psalms of Solomon is a passage that describes the wisdom that Jews expected of the Messiah. Psalms of Solomon, <coughs> chapter 17, verses 34 to 36. He shall be compassionate to all the nations who reverently stand before him. He will strike the earth with the, mouth, uh, with the word of his mouth forever. He will bless the Lord's people with wisdom and happiness. And he himself will be free from sin in order to rule a great people. He will expose officials and drive out sinners by the strength of his word. If you've been around church any amount of time, does this sound familiar to you? Does this sound like something that Jesus did during his life? Now, Psalms of Solomon is not found in our 66 books of the Bible. But probably because it was a Jewish book written by Jews for Jews when they were trying to figure out who is this Messiah going to be? Remember, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about this 400-year break between the last book of the Old Testament and the book of Matthew. All during this time, we have nothing scripturally that tells us anything, but we have a wealth of Jewish tradition and Jewish writing that helps fill in that gap of what was happening with God's people during that time. And the Psalms of Solomon are one of them. The Jews in Jesus' day believed that Jesus would be, well, not that Jesus would be, that Messiah would be full of wisdom, that he would be free from sin, that he would expose officials and drive out sinners by the strength of his word. These are the things that the Jews were looking for when they were looking for Messiah. And I can't help but wonder if Jesus, sitting in that temple when he was 12 years old, I can't help but wonder if at least one of those teachers was sitting there 
maybe thinking about the Psalms of Solomon when they were listening to Jesus talk. I wonder if one of those men sitting in the temple is like, this kid is wise. This kid is telling me things about scripture that I never thought of before. Is it possible? Is he giving us the true interpretation of the law and the prophets? And I'm fairly sure that they were probably a little disappointed when Joseph and Mary showed up to take the kid away. I really am. I've had conversations with students in, in school and you know, it's, uh, we've really gotten into like some deep conversations and then all of a sudden, oh, my parents just texted me, I gotta go now. And I'm like, oh, come on, five more minutes, <laughs> right? But I can't help if they, were, if they were just a little bit disappointed to see him travel back to Nazareth instead of staying there with him. So we read, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. When Jesus returned to Nazareth, he most likely did all of the things that a Jewish man would do. He would learn his father's trade, which Joseph's trade was carpentry. He also likely would continue his education. He would study the rest of scripture. He would study the prophets, the histories, the Psalms, the wisdom writings. And he would have memorized all of that scripture and learned how to interpret it. I think Jesus possibly maybe even attached himself to a rabbi. There are some historians that believe that Jesus followed a rabbi himself, learning how to interpret and learning how to teach the scripture. And I know that sounds a little weird to some of us because some of us have grown up thinking, well, Jesus just had all of scripture downloaded into his brain from birth. He just had to learn how to learn, how to speak. But Jesus was human in every single way, as we are. And that had to include learning in the same way as we do. Now, his brain might have been developed a little bit differently. But Jesus was still needing to learn, needing to learn how to talk, needing to learn how to teach. And in Luke chapter 2, verse 52, we read that Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. He increased in wisdom. Now, to me, that says Jesus didn't have all wisdom downloaded. What it says to me is that Jesus obeyed the Father in everything. And in prayer and in study and in conversations with the people who God put into his life. Jesus' wisdom became far beyond that of anybody else's. And I'm not saying that for us, we're going to have wisdom that far surpasses anybody else's. I know I'm certainly not. But what it does say to me is that I need to continue to learn. 
I need to continue to sit at the feet of teachers who are wiser than I am, who know more than I do, who have studied these things already, who have said, this is my interpretation of what Scripture is saying. It tells me that I can't just be complacent and say something, you know, offhand like the Bible says it, I believe it, that settles it, and I don't even know what the Bible says, which is what some Christians do. It tells me that I am responsible for learning God's word. And Jesus took responsibility for learning his father's word. And it took him from the time he was six years old until the time when he was 30, when he first entered his ministry. In Luke chapter 3, verse 23, it says, Jesus, when he began his ministry, was about 30 years of age. This was about the time most teachers would start teaching. When their rabbi would say, you are ready to be a rabbi yourself. About 30 years of age. We have a child born of a virgin descended from the tribe of Judah and the line of David, whose family fled to Egypt, who came to live in Nazareth, who came growing in the wisdom of Scripture and knowing the true interpretation of the Word of God. All of these prophecies, all of these expectations we see being fulfilled one by one throughout the Gospels. Next week we're going to see what kind of a start Jesus had to his ministry. Because Jesus had a couple of things he had to do first before he got started, like really started in his ministry. And next week, we're going to talk about Jesus and his baptism. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for allowing us to be here this morning, that the snow has held off. And Father, we ask safety as people travel in that today. Father, for now, we ask that you would increase our wisdom, that you would put inside of us a desire to learn your word, maybe even a desire to memorize it, a desire to listen to the Holy Spirit for the true interpretation of it. Father, help us not to be complacent. Help us not to read the Bible once and think we know everything because we don't. Father, I ask that you would encourage each of us to read, to study, to discuss. Father, give us wisdom, give us guidance so that we can know your word, so that we can know how we are supposed to share that word with others. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the things that we do as Christians is we strive to live the life that Jesus lived, the life that he instructed us to live, and we cannot, cannot do that until we read his words, till we study his scripture 
till we know what it is that God would have us to do. I pray this week that as you leave here, you will renew a desire to study, to read, to learn God's word. God bless you this week.